1209. Happy Friday, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader, and again for Jeff Wagner. All right. This is going to be a show to say in a state of flux would be an understatement. There could be news a-popping. What an amazing week. What an amazing end to a news week. <laughs> Near the end of the year as we roll into Christmas. Wow, 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 wow. Anyway, all sorts of things could be happening. We, of course, here at News Radio WTMJ will break in. They will gladly shove me aside. And uh, whether the president speaks, vote on shutdown or no shutdown. And so here's where I want to start. Right now. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 149.04. So I'm going to set an over and under number. All right, you know, like in sports betting. If the vote and the Senate now is in the process of beginning to vote on, on a bill that would include wool funding, unless they go with the nuclear option, it's, it's pretty much certain that that won't happen because Democrats can block it. So if that happens, and then it appears that failed vote means government will be in a partial shutdown tonight. The over-under number that I set at where the Dow Jones Industrial Average will close will be, it's down now, 149. I'm going to predict it will, uh, well, I'm not going to predict. I'm going to say the over-under number on how far it will drop if that vote fails and we're head for a shutdown it will close down. The over/under number is 800 points. Kyle, would you take the over or the under? Less than 800, or down more than 800? The oh, a tiny bit over. Kyle says a tie. So he li- So you think I've said it well? You uh, you're, you're, you think it's in that ballpark of 800? He thinks a tiny bit over, which, gosh, I hope not. I, I mean, I really, you know, it's like many of you. I, the number's not hypothetical to me. It's, I watch my 401k. Yeah, I'm not going to retire anytime soon, but I don't want to start over in my late 50s either. I mean, I know, even if it, even if it gets down to, you know, 20 some thousand, it's still, I, I know, I know, I know, but, uh, it's going to react. The markets will react horribly if that were to happen before the closing bell. Don't know if it's going to happen. So let me tell you my plan here for this hour, and plans could really go up in smoke. Uh, Again, as we may have to dip into various breaking news coverage. Uh, Now, at the moment, my plan is that uh, in the 1 o'clock hour, 108, Congressman Mike Gallagher, I know he's not all that well-known in the Milwaukee area, uh, southeast Wisconsin, Mike Gallagher is the Republican congressman in the 8th, Congressional District, Green Bay, Fox Valley, in northeast Wisconsin. He is also a Marine vet. He's worked in the intelligence community. And he knows, not super well, but he knows General Mattis. He is going to join us at 108 to talk about, well, we're going to ask Congressman Gallagher. There's a lot of uh, inferring going on on the part of the media on exactly what that resignation letter meant and exactly how concerned we should be about Donald Trump as commander-in-chief without the adult in the room, Mattis there, that's the media narrative. We'll see what Mike Gallagher thinks about that. In this hour, I want to do something, and I'll admit I'm a day late and a dollar short on this. I had not heard about this controversy. I stumbled upon it this morning. First, let me say this. 
I do not watch The Voice. I was, my wife and I have not gotten into those, and it's interesting. She, she's not an American Idol fan. She's not a fan of The Voice. And those, you would think she would be. If you knew her and her tastes, you, you would think that she would be into that kind of thing, but, but she never was. So we don't watch it. Okay, So this happened uh, Tuesday, I believe, and the reaction to it continues. So I'm not going to take this up right now, but here's what I want to say. Okay, uh, What I want to say about it is this. Probably after 12.30, again, if, if things allow, we'll take this up after 12.30. Very controversial performance. Musician Halsey is clapping back at her critics. The Bad at Love singer defended her performance on Tuesday's finale of The Voice. Actress and dancer Jade Chenoweth joined Halsey when she belted out Without Me. Now, it was, I would say, a sensual performance. There was a lot of criticism on social media. She and others fired back and said that people are being homophobic because it was two women. I don't know if scantily clad is fair, but mm, mm, mm. I don't know that it's unfair either. I watched it. Um, I don't think it was erotic. I disagree with those who are calling it an erotic performance. Uh, As close as it got to that is one of them straddling the other while she was on her back. But a lot of people, a lot of outcries. So after 12.30, we're going to see what you think. So here's what I would ask. If you saw it, if you saw it and you want to weigh in, text or call, after 12.30, not now, but after 12.30, we'd love to hear from you. You can find it almost anywhere online if you have time to go take a look for it. Because as someone who's often characterized as a Bible-thumping old guy, you might be surprised by my take on this. So that's after 12.35. Coming up, I do want to talk, and we'll talk about it again probably after 2 o'clock. It's, again, it's going to be a very fluid day. But we are going to talk about what's going on with the shutdown vote in uh, just a couple of minutes. 12.16, News Radio, WTMJ. Rudolph Let's get an update. It's uh, 12, sorry about that, 12.17. We will now get an update from... ABC News. Thank you very much. I appreciate everybody being here. We've had a very busy two or three days. It's been very positive. Things are happening that haven't happened in our government for a long time. Uh, The other night, as you know, we had a vote on border security, and I think we want to discuss this just for a second. But the House of Representatives voted 217 to 185, uh, approving strong border security and the money necessary to take care of the barrier, wall, or steel slats, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same. Uh, And uh, it was a tremendous evening for the Republicans, to be honest with you, because uh, the level of spirit, the level of of uh, happiness. A lot of people came out, they said they have never seen, one man in particular, he's been there for over 20 years, he said, I've never seen spirit or enthusiasm like this. They came from 
all parts of the country. A couple of them came from other parts outside. So I say all parts of the world in order to vote. And they voted, and it was an incredible vote. And we were told that you would never get the House to vote. Well, we were able to get the House to vote. And it wasn't that we did it, they did it. They were incredible. So I want to thank, in this case, House Republicans, because what they did was rather incredible. And now uh, the Senate is looking at it. We just had a meeting with some of our great senator Republicans, and lasted for a long time. Tremendous enthusiasm for border security. And I think I can speak for them very strongly when I say they want to see something happen on border security. They want the security of safety. They want safety for our country. Drugs are pouring in, and we've done an incredible job considering we have no barrier. But drugs are pouring into our country. Human trafficking is at the all-time worst uh, in history because of the Internet. And the human trafficking problem is a problem that has gone on through the ages, but it's never been worse because of the Internet all over the world. This isn't the United States. This is all over the world. So we need border security. And the Republicans and the Senate, as you know, are taking it up today. And it's really up to the Democrats, totally up to the Democrats as to whether or not we have a shutdown. Uh, it's possible that we'll have a shutdown. I would say the chances are probably very good because I don't think Democrats care so much about maybe this issue, but this is a very big issue. It's an issue of crime. It's an issue of safety. It's an issue of, of uh, least importantly, dollars. Uh, spend $285 billion a year on illegal immigration. We have to finally do it. The wall will pay for itself on a monthly basis. I mean, literally every month it pays for itself. So we're talking about small amounts of money. Think of it. We approved and we got good Democrat support. Military last year, $700 billion. Recently, $716 billion for the military. And here we're talking about $5 billion. So it's a tiny fraction, but unfortunately, uh, they've devoted their lives to making sure it doesn't happen. And that wasn't for what should happen. That was for political reasons. So uh, we are going to be working very hard to get something passed in the Senate. There's a very good chance it won't get passed. It's up to the Democrats. So it's really the Democrat shutdown, because we've done our thing. When Nancy Pelosi said, you'll never get the votes in the House, we got them, and we got them by a big margin. 217 to 185. So now it's up to the Democrats as to whether or not we have a shutdown tonight. I hope we don't, but we're totally prepared for a very long shutdown. And this is our only chance that we'll ever have, in our opinion, because of the world and the way it breaks out, uh, to get great border security. Ronald Reagan tried many years ago, got a note from a member of his family, many years ago tried to get a wall and he fought for a long time during his entire term he was never able to get a wall and i consider him to be a great president he knew what he was doing we are going to one way or the other we're going to get a wall we're going to get uh, a barrier we're going to get anything you want to name it you can name it anything you want but we cannot let what's been going on in this country over the last 10 years, we just can't let it happen. Now to a very positive note. Criminal justice reform. Everybody said it couldn't be done. 
They said the conservatives won't approve it. They said the liberals won't approve it. They said nobody's going to approve it. Everybody's going to be against it. It's been many, many years, numerous decades, and nobody came close. And I just want to thank all of the people standing behind me. I want to thank my daughter Ivanka, my son-in-law Jared Kushner. I want to thank And that was President Donald Trump talking about, uh, of course, primarily the shutdown, no shutdown vote. We'll talk about what he talked about in a couple of minutes. News Radio WTMJ 1223. 1226 News Radio WTMJ. Merry Christmas to you. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner moments ago. If you were joining us. We heard from President Trump, and he talked about the big, beautiful vote that the House had. He didn't exactly say that, but he actually came pretty close. Tremendous. Talked about the enthusiasm. Of course, now it's in the hands of the Senate. CNN has a running blog going here. 26 minutes ago, Jeff Flake votes no to move Bill forward. Republican Senator Jeff Flake just voted no. It's actually almost half an hour ago. Uh, to proceed on the House's stopgap bill on the floor of the Senate, Of course, Mitch McConnell needs 50 votes, does the leader, to secure the motion to proceed. And this, from just a few minutes ago, the voting window will stay open as senators return to Washington. That from Senator Bob Corker, Republican, voting in the Senate, as we said, underway. Corker uh, said he was told the Senate will hold off the vote. Uh, or rather, you know, hold it open for a while to wait for some senators to return from the Midwest. So it's not something that's going to happen all at once. Some senators have left. Corker added Republicans plan to discuss their next steps at lunch. Uh, he himself hasn't voted yet and was noncommittal on how he would proceed. CNN voting on that, uh, or rather voting, reporting on that. Well, I said voting too many times and it just got stuck in my head. Uh, reporting on that 12 minutes ago. It's a live update that CNN offers. So that's the latest. You heard the president. This will be the Democrats' shutdown. If they don't allow a vote on the border wall, it will be their shutdown, and there will be a long shutdown. I think that's exceedingly wishful thinking on the part of the president, because he made the mistake when he was with Schumer and Pelosi of saying, I'll be glad to take the blame for a shutdown. I'm proud, proud to do it. You think that video is going to be disappeared down the memory hole? The mainstream media will have that thing on permaplay. You're going to see that. You know what You know what that video is going to feel like to you? It's going to feel like the most annoying campaign commercial, whichever yours was, and there are a lot to choose from. Your most annoying campaign commercial in the last couple of weeks of October into November where you felt like it was constant because it was. And you would see it again and again and again and again and again. That's what it's going to be like with this video. Him, arms folded, all smug. I'll be proud to take blame for a shutdown. You are, it is going to be everywhere on television, everywhere, every place. And he can try now and reverse engineer that 
but the odds aren't very good. All right, obviously this is stuff we'll be in and out of all day. The show pretty much tearing up the outline because it's just going to be one of those days, news-wise. 12.36, News Radio WTMJ, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner on a crazy nuts news day. And really, it hasn't even unfolded yet. The Senate now in the process of, of the procedural vote for the uh, continued resolution, uh, spending resolution to uh, proceed, which would include the money for, quote-unquote, the wall. However, Democrats can block that procedurally. Now, I, by the way, I'm just pretty much throwing out the outline, Kyle, just so you know, for what we have planned. And we're going to roll with the breaking news today. So earlier today, the president tweeted this. Mitch, use the nuclear option and get it done. Our country is counting on you. What President Trump was doing was urging Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to use the so-called nuclear option or change Senate rules to end the right to filibuster and enable legislation to pass with a simple majority to push through the spending bill with the $5.7 billion in funding for Trump's wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. That doesn't happen. There's going to be a partial government shutdown uh, midnight tonight. Now, should McConnell do... Well, okay, first... Is McConnell going to do that? No, he is not. Should he? Separate question. Let me start with this before I answer it. Uh, the blogster known as Alapundit, writing at hotair.com, would Democrats vote to end the filibuster if McConnell put it on the floor? Maybe. Uh, he writes, I've spent days insisting that nothing short of Medicare for all would make Schumer and Pelosi budge on funding the wall. But Trump's idea of ending the filibuster to make it happen is so bad that maybe they'd agree to do that, even knowing that it would mean he gets money for his pet project. So what he's saying is if they could get what they wanted, they might actually go along with ending the filibuster. I don't see it happening. Now, I have actually had this conversation on air previously with Senator Ron Johnson. As you know, the nuclear option has been deployed in judicial votes, but not basic legislation. That has seen has been seen, at least for McConnell, and this is what Senator Johnson has said to me, it is seen as a line too far. That is simply, it's just not something... Mitch McConnell will do, change the rules so a simple 51 votes gets you what you need in terms of legislation. The president imploring McConnell to invoke or use, deploy, the nuclear option in this case. I guarantee he is not going to do that. That's the only way this gets done. Here's my question to you, though. And, of course, it's specific to this legislation. But I ask it in the broad sense. I actually urged uh, Senator Johnson, I said, well, you, guys, you guys should do this when they were with the Obamacare repeal and all of that. I said, look, you should do this because it, here's why. Not, I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm not, sometimes, uh, you know, the movie Argo, the best bad idea we have, 
and I think I used that phrase back then, that deploying the nuclear option for, for basic legislation was the best bad idea Republicans had because they weren't going to get, uh, that's the only way to get things done. This is when they were really struggling and weren't just getting things passed and the embarrassing failed votes and on and on. So you have, you know, whatever my reservations about President Trump, you have a Republican president. You have both houses of Congress. This is your opportunity to get things done. Here is Senator Johnson's response to that is, well, yeah, then when Democrats have everything, you know, those the executive and the legislative branch, when they have total control, and it's going to happen someday, then they'll use it. My response to that is they'll, they'll probably use it anyway. So, while I don't actually agree with the wall, I think there are other more effective and efficient increased security measures that we can use at the southern border. I do think that my opinion from a year or two ago hasn't changed and now you only have days, and it's unfortunate they, because I, I think there are a lot of other things that are still there that they could potentially vote on besides this, or in addition to this. But I think they probably should have done this much earlier. I, I hate the idea, and I understand it, it, it keeps the radical fringe from either party from having total domination. That's, and that was what Senator Johnson said. You know, you've got the far fringe of the left or the right. If you do this, they will use it. And again, even though I'm not necessarily a fan of the wall per se, I have to be consistent. And what I've previously said is Republicans should use the nuclear option because the day will come when Democrats will. So what do you think? I throw that out to you. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Somebody's going to use it. Republicans have the opportunity to be the first. 1242 News Radio WTMJ. Be light. 1245 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Should, not even just necessarily for this, but in the last couple of years, now it's just this bill, would Republicans have been wise to use the so-called nuclear option where you change the rules so you just need a simple majority, 51 votes to get legislation passed? I say yes. And not that I think it's a good idea, but I think at some point Democrats will do it. And further, but even bigger than that, uh, Lena writes, filibuster is a swamp tactic, end it. Especially the filibuster as it exists today. I think it was back in the 70s, and I won't swear to that, but I'm thinking somewhere in 1975-ish, I could be wrong on that, is when they changed the rule, a filibuster used to be a filibuster. You got up there, and as long as you could speak and hold up a bill. Now, the filibuster is entirely symbolic. You can invoke filibuster, but then the Senate can go on with its business. That was that is swampy. I actually do agree with that. That 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 is not what the filibuster initially was. So this notion that you can just invoke filibuster and not really 
I'm telling you what, if you had to stay up there X number of hours, it wouldn't be invoked nearly as often. Either change it back to the way it was or simply go with the simple vote. Now, uh, another text. By the way, if you want to weigh in on this, 414-799-1620 at the Econet Mortgage Talk and text line. Uh, Another text. I wish they would use the nuclear option. I'm torn on how I feel about the wall, they write, but I do feel we have a serious border control issue, an immigration issue. Maybe if the wall gets funded, it might merge our politicians to actually start an act on the conversation to fix the problem that's been going on for 20-plus years. What, what I would also say is this. You could also argue that Republicans have an opportunity here to uh, get some type of beefed-up border security short of the wall. I don't know how much compromise has actually been tried here. Extracting more border security measures short of the wall. That's another offer. All right. Uh, this texter, what a bad assumption. You have zero idea if the left would ever do it, and that's a bad rationale for the right to do it. Well, Brian, I don't have zero idea. You're right. I don't know. I don't know that the left would do it. But I strongly suspect that they will at some point point only and i say that only because it's going to be uh, the polarization is not getting any better it's getting worse and brian even if you take that rationale out do it before the other guy does all right if you don't like that one then i would say this senator johnson when i when i interviewed him a while back the argue, his argument against it is it puts the power in the hands of the fringe on both sides my response to that is go ahead let the american public see unfettered left and right at work now there's going to be things i disagree with from both sides there are things on the extreme fringe of the right that i wouldn't agree with and there's Everything on the extreme fringe of the left that I wouldn't agree with. But I think it would be a fascinating experiment to let the government see that. And, Brian, I have zero idea if they would do it. They were the first to do it for judicial nominees. So, no, I actually don't have zero idea. They did it. They did it first for judicial nominees. And then Republicans followed up with a Supreme Court vote. So yeah, I, I have a little more than zero idea when it comes to that. To uh, Max in Lake Geneva. Max, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, I just want to say uh, I agree with you that the Republicans should use this vote. Uh, however, they should have used it, you know, previously uh, in the month past. If, if they're going to use it now, uh, I think it unfortunately would give Democrats a lot of firepower in the upcoming election to, you know, get their point across that, you know, maybe these guys, uh, you know, just it would give them firepower to maybe win seats that they wouldn't normally win because these guys are willing to do things that maybe the Democrats would say they're not willing to do. Okay, so you think it would be politically damaging for Republicans to go with the nuclear option on legislation? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, boy, I don't. Well, here's what I would say: they're going to have a tough road to hoe in any regard. 
uh, Max, and I, I don't know. I honestly, I, I just think they've got so much going against them already. I'm not sure what to say about that. Thanks a lot for the call. I, I, I don't know. Yes, yeah, so, okay, that's what Democrats could do. They could pledge that they would never use it that way. I don't think, any, given that they were the first to use it for judicial nominees, I don't think they would be widely believed on that. But as to Brian's point that, well, do it before they do it, you, you just don't know. Brian, they were the first to use it, just in a, in a more limited sense. And so, yeah, if they feel they need to, I absolutely think they will. And as for how wide open and unfettered and wild and crazy that would make the legislative process, look, you only need a simple majority in the House. And I understand it was set up that I get it. I get how this is all supposed to work. The most august, deliberative body in world history. and all. Well, it isn't right now. That's just the reality. Right, we're keeping an eye, obviously, on a lot of things. Uh, Kyle is keeping me up to date in terms of if we need to take any live coverage, on uh, be it the shutdown or uh, anything else. Uh, we will certainly do that. After 1 o'clock, we have Congressman Mike Gallagher joining us, and we're going to talk about the Mattis resignation, the way it's being played in the media. Is it as dire as the way the media is playing it? Does Mike Gallagher, who national security, that's his area of professional expertise, and he knows Jim Mattis personally. They're not friends, but but he knows him. All of that, we're going to get to that in the 1 o'clock hour. 12.52, News Radio WTMJ. 1255 News Radio WTMJ, Jerry in for Jeff, Feliz Navidad, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. So my final thoughts on this as we head to the Mattis resignation and Congressman Mike Gallagher in the next hour are this. No, Republicans are not going to use the nuclear option. That's just something that's not in Mitch McConnell's DNA. Because of that, I don't think they should do this. I don't think they should engage in the shutdown. They are going to lose, and they're going to lose bigly on it. Why? Because now the president can preach all he wants. It'll be the Democrats shut down. You probably said you'd own it. And perhaps you forget that and you live in the moment and you said it yesterday so it's gone, but it's in living color on video. And as I mentioned earlier, it will be played ad nauseum. Republicans will be tagged with this. No ifs, ands, or buts. And the other thing, contrary to what Many conservatives believe opinion polls do not suggest that a majority of Americans support the wall. In fact, it's more like 57, 56, 57 percent do not. So this is just a lose-lose for Republicans. And the frustrating thing for me is this happened. The president appeared that he was ready to go along with this, and then he was mocked and ridiculed by some of his staunchest conservative defenders, and they tried to shame him into shifting on this, and they succeeded. He's hypersensitive to any criticism, especially friendly fire, it would appear. And when the likes of Ann Coulter and others got after him, in fact, he stopped following her on Twitter, but his uh, and Fox 
on the Fox television network, Fox News, that is, rather, there were just, it was brutal. The people who are friendly, who are strong supporters, they turned on him and were mocking him for how weak he was going to look. They succeeded. Okay, toward what end? This ends badly. This is frustrating to me. This, and that he could be turned on a dime that way. And, and But it, it, nobody takes his, his declaration seriously anymore because he can just... You want to talk about change like the wind from day to day to day to day. So in terms of believing that you have him, you don't have him until you have him. And it really did sound as though it's, he... Cooler heads have prevailed, and okay, we'll, we'll just push this down one more time. But he also knows, and I mean, his friendly critics, if you will, they were right about this. This is it. You lose the house in early January. This is it for the next two years. That's it. So I get that. But you're not going to get it now. And you may say there's going to be a long shutdown. He is saying that on the belief that Democrats are going to take the blame for it. Yeah, with the, you know about 35% of the country that is his base, yes. But not the other 65%. This is just a terrible mistake. If Congress had courage, they would have flipped and sent him the other bill. But they, they, they fear with their lives the next tweet. 1259 News Radio WTMJ. One oh nine. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. You know, for something to qualify as a bombshell out of Washington these days, it almost has to be an actual real bombshell going off because just about News on any given day out of the nation's capital these days can be considered bombshell. But yesterday's news that Secretary of Defense General James Mattis was resigning, uh, that was big, and it was literally felt around the world. Joining us now to talk about that, a congressman from Wisconsin whose wheelhouse is national security. Uh, that is 8th District Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher. Congressman, good to talk with you again. Thanks for having me, Jerry. How you doing? Good, doing well. So what was your reaction to the news? Uh, I was uh, surprised and uh, upset, to be honest with you. I think Secretary Mattis is a patriot, and we were lucky to have him at the helm of the Pentagon at a very tumultuous time. And I think both the national security strategy and the national defense strategy are great documents that have set the right direction for our foreign policy. And combined with what we've done on military funding, rebuilding the military combined with the flexibility we've given our military operators to really systematically dismantle ISIS in places like Iraq and Syria. We've had a lot of progress on the ground, but the mission is not complete by any stretch. And so um, I uh, was taken by surprise by all these announcements yesterday. Uh, Now, this is being portrayed in, in a certain way by the media uh the headline in the washington post is uh, a sad day for america washington fears a trump unchecked by mattis and later in the story they say mattis's resignation letter not 
only offered a window into his policy disagreements with President Trump, but also seemed to question Trump's fitness to be commander-in-chief at a dangerous moment on the world stage. I'm assuming you read his resignation letter. Did you see that in there? Uh, well, certainly the secretary emphasized the importance of allies, and I think he quite usefully expressed how probably the best way to preserve and extend U.S. power around the world, precisely because we can't do everything ourselves, is to maintain and nurture our network of alliances. It's actually a weapon we have that the Chinese and the Russians could never hope to equal, let alone the North Koreans or ISIS and the rest of the Salafi jihadists. And so I think he was, and I've read the same things you have. I haven't talked to Mattis, and I've actually requested a, a meeting with the president to argue for a different approach in Syria. Um, but uh, from what I understand, the announcement that we were going to be withdrawing caught him by surprise. And then there was also the suggestion that this all emerged during a phone call with uh, President Erdogan of Turkey, where President Erdogan basically threatened a cross-border invasion of Syria to rout the Kurds that we are working with on the ground, and that inspired Trump to uh, withdraw, which I think is troubling in a few ways. One, that's just not how the process should operate. And then two, Turkey increasingly does not share our interests, and Erdogan is taking the country in a very dangerous direction. And so to cave to uh, the Turks' demands, and sell out our allies in the Kurds who are doing the majority of the fighting on the ground and are probably the best allies we've had in that fight uh, over the last two years in particular, I think that's going to have negative repercussions for our reputation around the world. Talking with Congressman Mike Gallagher, well, then when you look at that, and, and you pointed out something that a lot of people have expressed concern about, that it appears that President Trump, for want of a better term, knee-jerk you know, response to phone calls, as you said, are making these decisions and not huddling with his national security team. Is that cause for great concern? Well, listen, I think the framers in their infinite wisdom um, devised a system of government where, you know, that anticipated something like this, which is to say, like, the president can organize his national security team however he wants, right? And he can structure his process however he wants. And certainly we've had presidents who had a very collegial and informal and presidentially uh, driven process. We've never had a real real time insight into it in the way we do now with the president's Twitter feed, but it's not, not actually something new in American politics for the president to be making all the decisions by himself. Eisenhower was like the exception to this with the rigorous nature of his NSC process. But this is why Congress needs to be in the business of flexing its muscles on foreign policy and national security. Because when the president does something that we disagree with, that's all. That's fine. We can have a different opinion, and we should debate it, and we should use our constitutional authorities and equities to push back on that aggressively. Because it's kind of part of the source code of our country that we distrust concentrations of power wherever they exist, whether it's in the presidency or among a few people in a party inside Congress. And that's why we have a system of checks and balances. We have separation of government, and the Constitution really has shared powers between the different branches. What are, what's your take, as we are talking with Congressman Mike Gallagher, what we're hearing from international friend and foe alike? Everybody seems rattled by this, if you can believe the headlines, Congressman. Yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of work on national security and foreign policy, so I have relationships with a variety of our allies around the world, and I've gotten a lot of calls in um, the last uh, 24 hours. And so I think it's fair to say there's a lot of concern. And I just want to point out, I mean, I know anytime you, you disagree with the president, people get all riled up. But 
a lot of this is precisely the criticisms we were levying at Obama, right? I mean, just look at the Middle East, the region that this affects. We, the criticism we made, indeed, a large part of the reason I ran for office in the first place is because um, he pulled out of Iraq, he created a vacuum, and he also uh, pulled away from our, our partnership with our traditional allies, Israel foremost among them, but also the Sunni Arab Gulf states, and tried to reach an accommodation with Iran. That's why I was so happy to see when the Trump administration was reversing course, certainly enhancing our relationship with Israel, uh, certainly starting to push back against Iran and getting out of the disastrous Iran deal. But it just proves the lesson that any time you betray uncertainty, any time you pull back, because we are the leader of the free world, we have enormous responsibilities, and every single thing we do reverberates around the globe. And at the end of the day, we are a leader of the free world, and we have important relationships that we have to take seriously, and we have to communicate consistently to our friends that we have their back and that we will stand with them against our enemies, because we have some very, very real enemies on the world stage. We have people that want to destroy our way of life. We have people with different conceptions of what the world should look like, the Chinese foremost among them. And then we have people like ISIS that will do anything possible to attack us on our home front, we have to stay vigilant and we have to stay forward engaged. I want to play for you uh, what Sarah Sanders said when asked about this on Fox and Friends this morning. They, they disagree on a number of fronts that he outlined. and um, But at the end of the day, the American people elected one person to be the commander-in-chief and to make decisions. The president listens to all of his national security team, of which is a big group. He takes their advice, and at the end of the day, he makes the decision. That's what he was elected to do. And if Secretary Mattis doesn't feel like he's the right person to fill that job, I think it was uh, the right thing and an honorable thing that he did in stepping aside to put somebody in a position he feels like is the right person for that time. Look, Okay, the honorable thing. Boy, that sounds like the differences were pretty sharp. Uh, for everything I've heard and talking to people, the differences were, were very sharp on this particular issue. Um, and I think there's there also the, the, the rumor that uh, a withdrawal from Afghanistan is forthcoming as well. Um, I, I think she's right to suggest that, yeah, the buck stops with the president. He makes the decision, and then the Secretary of Defense, as with anyone who works for the president, can decide whether that crosses some internal red line for them where they feel like they have to resign because they're going in a direction that they just fundamentally disagree with. That's all well and good. That's, that's actually better than the alternative of staying and leaking or trying to covertly undermine um, an administration you're part of but you disagree with. But, again, I get back to this. I mean, I mean, Congress can't – we just can't be in the business of – you know, throwing bombs at the president or Mattis or anybody else. We kind of need to step up to the plate. I think this is an opportunity for us to kind of flex some of the muscles that have atrophied when it comes to foreign policy in recent years. Final question for Congressman Mike Gallagher. You mentioned earlier that you've requested a meeting with President Trump to discuss his rather abrupt decision on Syria. What do you plan on saying? What do you hope to accomplish? I just want to talk about my own experience. You know, as I said before, I, I deployed to um, western part of Iraq on the Syrian border, and I saw us have tremendous success in the surge. And then I saw a few years later when we completely flushed that down the drain, and that's part of why I stepped up and, and ran for office. And I just don't want to see him make the same mistake um, that his predecessor did, and I don't want us to undo all the positive progress we've made against ISIS, um, because at the end of the day, we're not doing this um, out of charity. We're doing it to keep our own country safe. And if we keep these groups 
on the run and ultimately force them into extinction, that's the best way to keep the country safe. And that's the foremost function of the federal government. And it's part of what I swore an oath to do. And uh, I just want to be able to make my case from my personal perspective. Okay. 30-second follow-up. Just to, Actually, it has been reported a plan is being drawn up to withdraw about 7,000 troops from Afghanistan. And I assume that is something you also oppose? Uh, well, listen, I actually think the president has better instincts on this. I mean, I, we have to ask serious questions about why we're in Afghanistan, what the theory of victory is. And when I was there last year, I didn't get sort of a coherent theory. But, yeah, I think pulling out 7,000 without a plan for why we're doing it is, is the wrong move because that's, again, where Obama went wrong, right? This is the whole – the first pillar of Trump's uh, strategy in Afghanistan was that they were moving away from time-based conditions for withdrawal – to uh, uh, to actually paying attention to what's happening on the ground. And so just to say that we're pulling out 7,000, irrespective of what's happening on the ground, doesn't make any sense to me. Congressman Mike Gallagher, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. I will have more to say about this straight ahead. 120 News Radio WTMJ. Sing it, Burl. 122 News Radio WTFJ, Jerry in for Jeff. Just joining us, uh, well, you missed, I think, a very informative interview with Congressman Mike Gallagher. Uh, Mike Gallagher just recently elected to a second term in the 8th Congressional District in Northeast Wisconsin. Uh, he was the foreign policy advisor for the Walker presidential campaign. Remember that? There was one. The Walker presidential campaign. Uh, and national security is certainly... Uh, his area of expertise, he worked in the national security community in Washington. He agrees with a lot of Republicans in Congress that the Syrian withdrawal and now the talk of an Afghan drawdown, it is, he doesn't support those. But he touched on a couple of things. The One is that the knee-jerk reaction, you know, phone call, with a foreign president, okay, we'll do this. Putin loved the idea. That's going to raise questions. Just about everybody, uh, except some of his most diehard supporters, even some of his friends in the conservative media, this is a mistake. This is a mistake. What I want to focus in on, though, is this. This is being cast in a very dire way. Not just by the left-leaning mainstream media, but even the opinion page of the Wall Street Journal and Mitch McConnell expressed this, other senators, friend and foe alike. Here's the, the narrative, is that Mattis was the adult in the room when it came to national security policy. Now, he's not gone yet, but the concern is, left to his own devices... President Trump is not up to the task. In fact, the way that the Washington Post reported this, and, and, I, and I quote from them for a reason here, Mattis's resignation letter not only offered a window into his policy disagreements with President Trump, but also seemed to question Trump's fitness to be commander-in-chief at a dangerous moment on the world stage. Mattis referred to a resolute and unambiguous leadership style that he had sought to embody, particularly when dealing with threats posed by countries such as Russia and China. Unstated but implied, the Washington Post said, 
was that Trump's erratic and impetuous approach to foreign policy isn't up to the threat America faces. And then it says the pointed letter set off alarm in the Capitol, which it did. I think there's something that General, well, for the moment, Secretary Mattis should do. After 1.30, we'll see if you agree. But I'll tell you what it is in a couple of minutes. 125 News Radio WTMJ. 127 News Radio WTMJ. So here is the narrative, and it's not just a media narrative. You're hearing it even from some Republican members of Congress, from heads of state, other countries, that the resignation, I don't know if they've ever said this, or anyone said this in modern history, that the resignation of the Secretary of Defense was a deeply destabilizing move. And that President Trump isn't up to the task without Mattis there. Now, we don't know who Mattis is still there. We don't know who he's going to have succeed him. But here's what I would say has to happen. And I want your thoughts on this after the news. But here's what I believe has to happen. Jim Mattis, Secretary Mattis, General Mattis, he's all of the above, he's going to have to do, he's going to have to speak. I really do. I think he's I mean when he's perhaps when he's gone, not till February, because he's still there. But here's what I think he has to do. If these things go beyond policy differences, and he has genuine concerns about the president's stability or lack thereof, I think he has a moral obligation to say so. If he doesn't if this was just, look, I totally disagree with Syria. I disagree, apparently, with what you're going to say about Afghanistan, and now it's out there. So, given that, then he should, if, if, if it's just policy disagreement, he should say that and put to rest these other things, this other narrative. By not speaking the other narrative, that this is destabilizing, that Trump is, well, we do know he's wildly unpredictable, but that he is actually a danger without Mattis, the adult in the room there. Mattis either has to confirm that or tap it down, deny it. Because by saying nothing, he is affirming it. That's what's happening. Now, I think there is evidence that Donald Trump does need an adult in the room when it comes certainly to this policy. The knee-jerk reaction, if you get on on a phone call... You don't huddle, you don't give a heads up, you don't do anything. That may be the Trump way, but it's not a smart way on national security security and national defense. But if it runs even deeper than that, I think Jim Mattis needs to speak up one way or the other. We'll see what you think after the news. 135 News Radio WTMJ, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. I think at this point, for Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis, staying silent is neither noble nor laudable. I mean, he's still in the position. But once he is gone, because there is a narrative being set out there that our allies, and you heard Congressman Mike Gallagher say, yeah, he's to a degree, he's heard this in phone calls. The narrative is being accepted that Jim Mattis was a stabilizing force in the West Wing, that uh, is Secretary Mattis, General Mattis, when it comes to national security in general and the Defense Department in general, Secretary of, or specifically Secretary of Defense. If it's 
true. And I'm not saying it's true. But, boy, there are things in that letter that gives one pause in his resignation letter. I think he has a responsibility to speak. If it's not true, he has a responsibility to speak out. Now, I want to remind you of something. He was quoted in Woodward's book, Fear, Trump and the White House. It included an, uh, a section, sections, where Mattis reportedly insulted the president. One of the excerpts had Mattis saying, Trump has the same understanding of the situation on the Korean Peninsula as a fifth or sixth grader. He denied. The contemptuous words about the president attributed to me in Woodward's book were never uttered by me or in my presence, Mattis wrote in a statement. Woodward, who is an associate editor of the Washington Post, said that the denial was false. Woodward stood by the reporting in the book and said, no, he really said that. Mattis is, by all measure, an honorable man. When he denied it, I actually believed it. A lot of what Woodward reports may have been true, but then again, a lot of it was told to him. This person said this. Woodward feels confident he knows that Mattis said that. I'm not going to get caught up on that, but I will just say this. It's this type of thing where this isn't just for the benefit of the American people. I think Mattis needs to speak out truthfully, honestly, and completely about what his experience in the West Wing was, good or bad. I think he needs to do that. Our allies need to know that we are still the United States of America that they can rely on. What we're hearing, again, whether it's warranted or not, whether it's fair or not, that's not the point. In this case, perception is indeed reality. And it may just be about policy disputes. But the belief is, by a lot of people who count, it's much more than that. And if it is, Mattis... And Kelly, when he leaves, I, I just I feel they have a responsibility to speak out. And if it's to shoot this stuff down, then it's to shoot it down. If you have any thoughts on that, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is 414-799-1620. Because whether you think it's fair and whether you refuse to believe those types of things about President Trump, our allies and enemies alike are. And this is a critical moment. And the president, quite frankly, has created a lot of chaos in the last 72 to 96 hours. And the, the world is watching America right now. And they're uncertain about what the status is in Washington. And I, and I truly, I understand that generally what's considered decorum is you leave the White House, you keep your mouth shut. I think we can all agree these are extraordinary times. And Jim Mattis has to see what his resignation created. He has, he has to recognize that. I, should, I don't know the man, I shouldn't call him Jim. Secretary Mattis has to know what this has done. And he can do something about it. And I think he and Kelly 
and to a degree Tillerson, although Tillerson has talked a little bit, they are trying to maintain what is considered good decorum. When you leave the White House, you don't kiss and tell. I'm not saying write a book. I'm saying understand what people are saying about you. Understand what people are saying about your absence. Understand what people are saying about the president. And recognize that you have to speak up and either, quite frankly, this wouldn't be good for anybody, either confirm those fears or do your level best to put them to rest if you don't see the president in the way that it's being depicted that you do. 414-799-1620. To Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, hi, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I think this is a great discussion, and, and I think it goes back to one of the issues of, of what, what happens in NATO and we're, why we're there for 50 years. And I think Donald Trump, and I agree with him on this, believes that we have been taken advantage with by NATO for over two generations by European states that not only are not paying for their own defense, but are forcing us to pay for it. And look look at what happened during the presidential election. The leader of the three greatest European states, England, France, and Germany, politicked against Donald Trump. And believe me, he remembers that. And I, I don't see there's any problem in forcing NATO to really realize what is going on because they need us a lot more than we need them. And and I don't think, again, Trump's hard line with NATO is bad. And I think NATO, you know, if and I don't know if you've ever been to Europe, but it, take a look at the NATO headquarters in Brussels, Belgium, if you want to see where our money has gone and what's going on, because it, it's really a, a, a situation that's, that's sad. Mattis was a great general. He had a lot of good ideas, but he doesn't go along with the president. Time to go. Okay, but uh, okay, Bob, thanks for the call. Now, I agree with that. And I agree that if he doesn't, if, if he can't do what the president wants him to do, that he, he did the right thing. Sarah Sanders was right about that to that degree. I, however, what my point is, and I'm not saying it's all accurate, but what I am saying is the media narrative is sticking not in just this country, but around the world, that this was a destabilization of the American government because Donald Trump is that unstable, that not up to the task, and that Mattis was literally the adult in the room. You don't have to believe that. It's to be believed or disbelieved. But it is being widely believed. And because it is being widely believed, and by widely I mean outside the borders of the United States, I think Mattis at some point is going to have to address this and say, no, I don't think the president's a raving lunatic, or yes, here's where my concerns ran very deep. But the ambiguity and the silence is, is going to put this country potentially in paralysis. To Bill in Oconomowoc, Bill, go ahead. Good afternoon. Um, I don't think it's up to Mattis, okay? Hmm. And here's why. Is that? Because he was a, a, a member of the Republican Party. We have a bunch of spineless Republicans who are going to watch the country literally vaporize, collapse. Look at our stock market. Look at our national deficit. 
Look at our what he's doing to our military. Look what he's doing to the FBI. Enough is enough. Now, these people got to remember one thing. If they do nothing, they will go down with the ship completely. And as a former Republican, we need Republicans. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot for the call. I got a little lost there. Um, here's what I would say is I think it is up to Mattis. It's up to Mattis because... He's the one that knows what he feels. And what he feels or what he believes is what's being parsed and speculated and turned into narratives and memes here. And I do think that he has to address it and clear up. Again, silence affirms the worst of what people are thinking right now. To Mike in Greenfield. Mike, go ahead. You, you know, great show, by the way. Thank you. I think that when you have a person of that position stepping down uh i think there's an unwritten law in washington whether you leave voluntarily or involuntarily i don't think you say one thing i mean the gop they're arguing amongst themselves i mean this is my this is what i think i think we have a captain a very unstable captain that's controlling the rudder of the ship that cool common collected and i think you need to you need can't be separate from the whole world. You need to be in agreement with your allies. Right now, this country is divided. Now we're starting to divide our allies, and we can't we can't just set ourselves apart from the whole world. I mean, we got to get along here. And it doesn't look like there's a lot of people that agree with uh, the president's uh, you know thought process. That's my statement. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. I uh, I understand. And I think, though, that he does need to clarify that. Mattis does. I'm going to read, if you've missed it, and I know it's been widely reported, I'm going to read some of the resignation letter and take more of your calls in a couple of minutes. 146 News Radio WTMJ. And plan on me. 149 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. Not going to read it in its entirety. Taking calls and. Uh, Either people disagree with me on this or kind of dodging the issue. I think Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis does at some point need to speak up because the media is reading a lot into that letter. But quite frankly, this part is real. Our allies and even some of our uh, adversaries are, are saying this rattles them. And a lot of Republican, and not just the usual suspects, flake at all. A lot of Republican congressmen and senators. This is, this is really unnerving. So there seems to be a perception that Mattis was a, a level of stability, a stabilizing force, to the point where this is actually a destabilizing move. And my argument is, then at some point Mattis should address that. Let me read some of the uh, resignation letter. One core belief I have always held is that our strength as a nation is inextricably linked to the strength of our unique and comprehensive system of alliances and partnerships. While the U.S. remains the indispensable nation in the free world, we cannot protect our interests or serve that role effectively without maintaining strong alliances and showing respect to those allies. Like you, and this is to the president, like you, I have said from the beginning 
that the armed forces of the United States should not be the policemen of the world. Instead, we must use all tools of American power to provide for the common defense, including providing effective leadership to our alliances. NATO's 29 democracies demonstrated that strength in their commitment to fighting alongside us following the 9-11 attack on America. The Defeat ISIS coalition of 74 nations is further proof. Similarly, I believe we must be resolute and unambiguous in our approach to those countries whose strategic interests are increasingly in tension with ours. And it's two obvious countries he's talking about here. It is clear that China and Russia, for example, want to shape a world consistent with their authoritarian model, gaining veto authority over other nations' economic, diplomatic, and security decisions to promote their own interests at the expense of their neighbors, America, and our allies. That is why we must use all the tools of American power to provide for the common defense. My views on treating allies with respect and also being clear-eyed about both malign actors and strategic competitors are strongly held and informed by more than four decades of immersion in these issues. I can read into that. I know what I'm talking about. Back to the letter. We must do everything possible to advance an international order that is most conducive to our security, prosperity, and values, and we are strengthened in this effort by the solidarity of our alliance. Translation, stop hacking off our friends. Because you have the right to have a Secretary of Defense whose views are better aligned with yours on these and other subjects, and the and other subjects, I believe it is right for me to step down from my position, the end date, the end of the month, February 2019, uh, that would allow time, so on, so on, so on. And the rest is all boilerplate. Now, someone texting said the letter speaks for itself. He doesn't have to add anything. Yeah, I respectfully disagree. I think he does have more to say. I think he really does. He either has to assure people this narrative that there's now a madman in charge of the... And there's not, because Mattis is still there. Whatever Donald Trump would or wouldn't be. But it's pretty clear... Someone says, why can't the new guy that replaces Mattis reassure the country? Because, quite frankly, he would still need a job. Mattis wouldn't. And again, I'm not saying Mattis would confirm the worst. I'm also not saying he wouldn't. That's the, the not knowing. It was Mattis himself that used the word ambiguity in a different context. There's a whole lot of ambiguity right now. 154 News Radio WTMJ. One fifty seven News Radio WTMJ. It's interesting. Uh, got a text. Why should Secretary Mattis lie to ease your or anyone else's comfort level about Trump's fitness to be president? It's frustrating to me when people hear one half of what I say. I said Mattis should speak out and tell the truth and the ambiguity. Whatever Mattis sees the truth to be. If that does put our minds at ease or confirms our worst fears about President Trump. 
And I have, I'm, I'm not laying any bets on which it would be. But because of that, he needs to speak out. If his concerns run far deeper than what he let on in that letter, and I, yeah, you can do some tea leaf reading from that letter. If it goes beyond that, well, it's, uh, the, the texter, in my view, the only ambiguity would exist on the minds of those who read this and still support Trump. Yeah, I get the concerns. I see them. But I think, I, I just, this halfway stuff. Kelly, same thing. Tillerson letting out a little bit. Just enough to, to get an angry tweet from Trump. If these people have something to say, I believe they should say it. I don't think there's any honor in staying silent. If they honestly believe that there are things the public needs to know about the President of the United States, they should say them. They should be willing to say them. If they don't, they should be willing to say that. But this is just going to go on and on as there are more departures, and it's just the, and it is ambiguity, is not healthy for the country. 159 News Radio WTMJ. Hour three of the Jeff Wagnerless show. Jerry Bader sitting in. Monday and Tuesday we do the Christmas thing, and then Wednesday through Thursday I am back. Uh, Jeff has called it a year for the show's purposes. Back in 2019. Uh, all right, I'm going to try something again. Now I think for the moment, and I know uh, Kyle will keep me abreast if anything changes we need to break in things have quieted down at least a little bit in terms of left and right left and right breaking news here by the way i don't mean ideologically i mean that it's coming from the left and right at left and right uh so i want to i'm going to try again something i set up at 12 o'clock and then it got it uh, was blown up with the breaking news so i'm going to try this again and i will reset the whole thing because who knows how many people from 1208 are listening at 209 and a half minutes I do not watch uh, The Voice. My wife and I never got into it. We never got into those types of shows. Something controversial happened, and if you saw it, you may know what I'm talking about. So in a few minutes, if you saw it, I'm going to ask you to call in. I saw it. I saw it online this morning. Musician Halsey is clapping back at her critics. The Bad at Love singer defended her performance on Tuesday's finale of The Voice. Actress and dancer Chade Chinawith joined Halsey when she belted out Without Me. Shortly before uh, the person was don't, that I don't know, Chevelle, Chevelle Shepard was revealed to be the season 15 victor. Clad in crop tops and high-waisted short bottoms, Halsey and Chinowith's sensual performance included choreographed embraces as well as tussles. We're very proud of the emotional performance I did with that Jade Chinowith on NBC The Voice tonight, tweeted Halsey24, and also very proud to have bleeped off the homophobic viewers at home who missed the message. And there are apparently those who, on social media, complained. There were mixed feelings. 
Some said this had nothing to do with homophobia. I am a homosexual. Let me stop there. How many gay people do you know call themselves homosexuals these days? Well, I, maybe some. I, I, I would say very few. I am a homosexual and I was sickened by the demonstration of domestic violence and vulgarity. One user wrote, not appropriate for a show featuring and watched by teens. There's a time and a place for everything, remarked another. Wrong forum. Not homophobic, but I believe erotic performances don't belong on primetime TV, a user stated, hetero or homosexual. Others lifted the artists up. That was your best performance of all time, a user lauded. I couldn't be more proud of you. The performance was amazing. It wasn't inappropriate at all. It was beautiful, wrote a member of the Twittersphere. Great job, ladies. You killed it. I absolutely loved your performance, gushed a user. Okay. If you saw this, I would like your opinion on this. And if you haven't seen it, you can just, if you just Google her name, you will, the video should pop right up. And we're going to get to this a little later in the hour. I want to give you a chance, if you haven't seen it, to see it. And if you're not familiar with her, H-A-L-S-E-Y, voice, you, dance. You Google that, and I'm sure you will find it. I will say this. Well, I won't say that right now. I, I will let you know what I think about it. Was it erotic? And and it was would be same sex eroticism as there are two women. Was it offensive to you, if particularly if you were a regular watcher of The Voice? I don't know how many people who fit that definition in this audience, but we're about to find out. Sometimes radio experiments work. Sometimes they go boom. We'll find out in a few minutes. Two thirteen News Radio WTMJ. Two sixteen News Radio WTMJ. Okay, let's see how this works out for us. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. If you have seen or you can go view the performance Tuesday night of the finale of The Voice, singer Helsey and another woman Jade Chinowith did a dance, and it was criticized for being inappropriate for a show that's on at that time. The audience, it's considered mostly a family show. I am told I don't watch it. If you saw it, do you think it was inappropriate? Let's go first to Lynn in Mequon. Lynn, go ahead. Hi, yes. Um, I am a regular voice watcher. I love that show. And I was watching the finale, and this came on, and I actually like her as a singer quite a bit. I was shocked. I was shocked that the voice allowed that performance, and not because of the fact it was two women. I think I would have had the same reaction if it was a woman and a man. Um, and I feel a lot of young kids, not just teenagers, but younger kids watch that show because it's a clean, fun, musical show to watch. And I, if I had young kids watching that with me, I would have turned it off. So if a man straddled another woman the way you saw a woman straddle a woman there, you would have been as, you oh, would have thought it just as inappropriate. Absolutely. That, that exact part was where I was like, wow. <laughs> believe this is on right now i was very earlier i described them as for one of a better term scantily clad do you think that's fair or unfair description yeah they were that didn't bother me so much i could handle that i don't think that was terrible it was more of the 
um, like the one on top of the other. And then there was also some, I think someone else mentioned this in a text or something, that some uh, allusion to like domestic abuse, that type of thing. I'm like, you know, I don't need to see this right now. See, I watched, and I'm good. I'm going to have to watch it again because I missed what people are referring to as domestic abuse. Yeah, it, it I didn't. Wasn't that didn't super blatant, but she kept pushing her away, and there was some movement. Ah, uh, that I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Lynn, thanks a lot for the call. I, I didn't. I didn't pick that up out of that. To Leon in Green Bay, Leon, you're WTMJ. Hey, Jerry. Uh, nice, Jerry, yeah. back on the radio. Thank you. Um, I watched The Voice a lot, and uh, while I didn't understand their performance, I didn't find it offensive at all. What do you mean you didn't understand it? Well, I I don't. I guess I didn't understand what they were trying to get at from their performance. If that makes sense. Well, well, do you think they're that's an interesting observation? Do you think there needs to be a message in a dance, or isn't it the, the choreography and the movement of the two dancers that you're just to appreciate? Um, I don't. It seemed like there was a message that I was missing. If I, <laughs> I didn't understand the performance, so I think so. Thanks a lot for the call. Got some texts on this. Uh, you can call in 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, 68 years old. I watch the show often. Inappropriate and raunchy, especially for their audience. So here's here are two thoughts that I have. Here's what it's sounding like. That this is inappropriate given what people are used to seeing if you when you turn on the voice that's the sense that i got from people who are commenting on social media the sense is hey this isn't what i tune in to see the voice i thought that it was i mean you know i maybe i'm getting a bit prudish in my old age i did but see to me homophobia has got nothing to do with it i didn't see it as erotic i didn't see it as sexual I, I i didn't personally i didn't see it that way but yeah you know when you look at what they were wearing and you do look at the let's let's put it this way the interaction the interaction uh, I, I I could see people being offended, and I don't think you you need to play the homophobia card. I think there are moves there. I guess I guess sensual is the word that USA Today. I I, I wouldn't call it erotic. Suggestive. How about suggestive? Highly suggestive, given what they were wearing. But I think this homophobia stuff is just that's a shield that's going up that I don't think is fairly applied here. A text. I YouTube too brazen for my liking, but I have the choice whether to watch or not. The problem is we sometimes get ambushed as viewers. That's what I think. See, Mitch, you are making a brilliant point. That's that's what people seem to be complaining about here. If I watch a show regularly and suddenly I refer to this as breaking or violating the brand, if you break or violate the brand, you're going to hack me off as a regular viewer. Uh, you never know about NBC. You may get the live version of The Sound of Music or edgy stuff like this 
or some of the music performances on Saturday Night Live. What I would, okay, but see, now what Mitch did there is he, he referenced several different programs. What I'm talking about is, again, violating the brand. It sounds to me, and again, I, I'm kind of on the outside looking in because I don't watch The Voice, but what I'm hearing from people who didn't like this, it violated the brand. It's not what they expect to see on The Voice. And apparently they have come to expect The Voice to be what they consider mostly family-friendly. You can give us a call at 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lynn, you're up next in a couple of minutes. 222 News Radio WTMJ. Two twenty-five News Radio WTMJ. Back to the topic in a second. First, breaking news: the Supreme Court this afternoon upheld a federal judge's order blocking the Trump administration's new asylum restrictions. The Supreme Court has upheld a federal judge's order blocking the Trump administration's new asylum restrictions. Chief Justice John Roberts sided with the four liberal justices in the five-four ruling. The administration's policy signed on November 9th would temporarily bar migrants who illegally cross into the U.S. through the southern border from seeking asylum outside of official ports of entry. The ruling comes after a federal judge opted to extend a ban on the new restrictions Wednesday. Again, from CNN, the uh, Supreme Court 5-4 has sided with a federal judge blocking the Trump administration's new asylum restrictions. I'm sure we'll be hearing more on that soon from the WTMJ newsroom. Back to the topic at hand, the dance performance, two women on The Voice Tuesday. Um, I saw it. I, I, I just being called erotic, I, I, I think, is a bit much. It's ra- racy. Am I too old? Do we, do we use racy anymore? It was racy. And I think what I'm hearing from most people is that this has become the brand of the voices to be family friendly. This is the problem they're having with it. Lynn in Milton. Lynn, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my Go concern, ahead, Lynn. My concern is that there were children, and I yeah. feel that families were kind of blindsided. As an adult, I have no problem viewing that type of entertainment if I choose, with those three words, if I choose. But to be blindsided like that and throw that on when you have a number of underage contestants in the finale, and so you know that families with children are watching this, how do you explain that to an eight-year-old child? (laughs) What Lynn, I think that... (laughs) Yeah, that's, that, that's a great point. Thanks a lot for the call. That seems, and, and you know, so that being the case, that just the nature of the performance is atypical, atypical of what people expect from the show. I mean, I could use a lot of analogies. So, suppose you turned on WTMJ tomorrow morning and it had a jazz format 
Well, is this their new format? No, we've just decided the morning show is going to be jazz, but, you know, Monday through Friday, otherwise, Steve Scafidi's going to be on, and Jeff Wagner, and John McCarroo, we're going to do jazz. In fact, I know a rock station in Wisconsin that did that for years on Sunday morning, but (laughs) it worked because their listeners, well, you know, they figured their listeners would be up for something light. And for years... They had Sunday morning jazz. But otherwise, you don't violate the brand. I think all of this talk of homophobia and all, I've just, no. I think it's something that's being thrown out there that's not really applicable. It's not, I, I, in the social media complaints that I saw, and from the callers to this show talking about it, uh, I, I just didn't see it. You know what? All right, so another another texter says it did suggest violence. Well, then it went right over my pointed head because I honestly didn't pick up on that, but clearly others did. So I'm going to say I was just thick and missed it. So I'll go back and take a look at it. All right, in the next half hour, this I, this was not a fun topic. It was a lighter topic. I Usually I call this... Friday fun, one for Friday fun, but this is actually two. I have two questions, which is always a little dangerous, because the first cardinal rule of talk radio is don't throw more than one thing at them at a time. I think I can make this work. Well, for boy, a big day of experimentation on the radio today. I have two questions for you to ruminate on during the news. But listen carefully to the news. It's important. Use one side of your brain to think about this and then the rest of your brain to listen to the news. How much would you pay for a Packers ticket for the finale at Lambeau a week from Sunday against the Lions? How much would you pay at all? Would you go for free? Hmm? And... Related, but a separate question. I will ask them separately. I'll ask one and then the other. I think we have to do that. But you can think about both. Who will be the first to win a world championship next? The Brewers, Packers, or Bucks? Two thirty-six News Radio WTMJ. A swinging bumper there. Jerry Baderid for Jeff Wagner. Uh, back again next week, not Monday and Tuesday, obviously, with a holiday Wednesday through Friday. Uh, Jeff taking well-deserved time off, and I certainly appreciate the chance to chat with you, his audience. All right, let's do this one at a time. I'm going to start with the who will do next question, and then we'll get to whether you will go to the Packers game. We'll do that uh, in the back half of this half hour. We'll start with... Uh, Kyle, hopefully I didn't confuse people. We'll start with that, with the championship question first. For the last 20 or so years, if you ask this question, who will be the next to win a world championship? Brewers, Packers, Bucks. About 99.999% of Wisconsin would have said the Green Bay Packers. I think that may not be true. That may not be true. The Milwaukee Brewers were one game away from the World Series. To say the Milwaukee Bucks are much improved would almost be something of an understatement. I, 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 I'm going to be honest. Basketball is a distant third sport for me. 
on football. Baseball's a close second. So who do you think will win the next championship? Who will will the Packers win a Super Bowl before the Bucks win the NBA championship and the Brewers win the World Series? Or is it the Brewers, the Bucks, the Packers? What are your th- I mean historically it's been the Packers, right? I mean it's, I would say heck, probably since Brett Favre got here in 1982. Now, the Packers are back-to-back losing seasons without a playoff berth. Now, last year, of course, Aaron Rodgers, big part of the problem. Aaron Rodgers was there this year, and the Packers still are going to finish below 500 and uh, not going to the playoffs. Are they reloading or rebuilding? And as long as they have Aaron Rodgers next year, are they still Super Bowl contenders, despite what's happened the last two years? Or do you tuck them into third place? Do you look at the Brewers having been this close, but I think they would have been swept by the Red Sox, to be perfectly candid with you? I I have thoughts on this, but I want to hold my fire for just a second here. Um, let's see. No championship coming soon. Too small of a market. Best chance is football. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. The Bucks are obviously one of the top teams in the NBA this season. And the Brewers were one of the top teams in the National League and, I think, Major League Baseball. What do you think? 414-799-1620. To Bill in Fond du Lac. Bill, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hey, hey hi, thanks for talking to me. I Everybody wants to think it's going to be the Bucks or the Brewers, but the structure of those two leagues... The money thing tells me that they can't keep those teams together long enough to win one. So I got to go with the Packers. Boy, but it looks like it it could be a while. For the Packers, but it might never happen for the other two because their players won't stay. I don't think they stay. That's just. See, that's that's what pretty much. All right, uh, Bill, thanks a lot for the call. I have texts to that regard, and I think our next caller is going to say roughly the same thing. Paul in Waukesha, go ahead. Paul? Paul? Yeah? Paul, go. Are you there? Yes. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, That's all right. Yeah, I. ironically, I think the Brewers are probably in the best situation and i say ironically because um the way that baseball is set up is that it's oriented towards the big markets and so forth so the fact that the brewers got to almost to the world series uh is, is a great tribute to their their management and their trades and all the stuff that they've done that that rose above what the biggies have, and uh, we ought to feel good about that. Now, where, where they go, I don't know. Okay, now, I, you make a couple of good points. First, let me say this, and I don't think this gets said enough, but Craig Council squeezed every bit out of that team, didn't he? Oh, yeah, yes. It, I mean, I just... Mean, I, I, I Jim and Stern, he, and, I mean, the whole, and the bullpen coach, you know, pitching coach, um, they got it together. And they needed to do that. Uh, I mean, they're like like a half or a third of the big markets in terms of their 
their their budget, what they play their payer, players. You know, it's it's ridiculous. It's not competitive. So it's great to see, you know, some small market team like the Brewers get in. Uh, well, I, I got to tell you, thanks a lot for the the call, Paul. I just don't think they're that far away. I uh, I'm on another radio station, one in Appleton, from time to time, and. I had a, a fun thing going on with a producer there where Zach was convinced the Brewers are four or five years away. I think Adonazio has committed to this team winning a championship. Yes. And I just, I, I, think, you know, I really do, Paul. Thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. And I, and I understand the money issue, and that's real. That's why the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers, you know, why, why they are perennial winners i think it can be done the twins have done it some other smallish you know it it has been done i i don't think the brewers are that far away i think kane and yelich you know massive massive acquisitions yelich who i mean people knew yelich was a good acquisition but holy cats now and there's no guarantee he's going to have that kind of year next year they do need i think there's certainly some additions on offense. I don't think they have a legitimate ace. I would say, I'll well, see, that's a good point. I was just going to say the Brewers, but Jeff in Fox Point makes a really good point. Jeff, go ahead. Uh, Merry Christmas, Jerry. I um, It was a really hard decision between the Bucks and the Brewers for me, but I am going with, with the Bucks because I think the Brewers – need to uh, score more runs, and they need to figure out what to do when a certain relief pitcher has a very bad day. But for the Bucks, um, they have arguably like the best player in the NBA. They're consistently beating big teams, and now they're even at a point where people like DJ Wilson, who aren't as, as well known, are really starting to come out and make a difference in games, too. You know, you make a good point about Giannis, and you point out he's only 24, and you know, in in a game like basketball, we saw that with Jordan, where the I'm not saying it's Michael Jordan, but he is probably the best player in in the NBA right now. And you saw that though when the Bulls had Jordan, that even until they built a good team around him, they were contenders. It wasn't until they gave him the help that he needed that they won a championship. But you're right; they could keep them close. So do you do you think the Packers are off the radar screen on this? Um, well, I don't want to upset people, but yes, I do. <laughs> well, I, I think it's going to be a couple of years. I don't know if the rebuild... It's, it's, a, it's a tough call, Jeff. Thanks a lot for the call. Here's why, and I will tell you what I think on this. I think it is actually... Boy, Jeff really has made my life tough. I was going to say the Brewers. I was going to say the Brewers, Bucks, and Packers. Here's why. Although the Packers could surprise us. Aaron Rodgers is the ultimate wild card. If Aaron Rodgers comes back, and he's the Aaron Rodgers we know, and he's got a year of familiarity with those young receivers, and they fix the offensive line, there's a lot of ifs. Aaron Jones, if they figure out how to use him, and all of those ifs, 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 they could turn around and be 10-6, and 11-5 easily next year. The NFL isn't the way it used to be, where rebuild programs are three, four, or five years. It just isn't that way. I understand the small market concerns about the Brewers. I Here's what I would say. I think any of them could win a championship in the next five years. I do consider the Packers the iffiest right now. I, I, I do. 
because the uncertainty around Rodgers, and if he's not around in another year or two, then they, they are not a Super Bowl-caliber team unless they pull yet another future Hall of Famer out of their hat. All right, let's get to the other question in a couple of minutes. 245 News Radio WTMJ. 248 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. One more text on the first question, then the second question. Uh, Derek in Germantown says the Bucks in basketball, you can add one player who can affect the game. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, Giannis is young, and that, and I'm not, again, basketball's my third sport, and even I can figure that out. Um, <laughs> I, I would not be surprised to see the Bucks. I just what I have a feeling, but again, this is just a feeling because I don't watch basketball closely enough to say this to speak intelligently. But from the outside looking in, they look close, like at the Brewers, like that one or two steps away. So you would have to think that it's going to be who will win the championship next, either the Bucks or Brewers, and then the Packers. But the NFL is just different than it used to be. All right, on to the other question, and I went long on the first one. So we don't have a lot of time for this. Uh, if you do want to get in, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. So the Packers, a week from Sunday, end the season, some may say, thankfully, at home against the Lions. There's a time where it looked like this could be a really important game. It is going to mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. So... How much would you pay? Let's say I had a ticket for $110. Would you pay 75 50 25 take it for free, or you you know what? I'm not going to go sit in the cold. We only have a couple of minutes on this, so I, I, I meant to leave a little more time. 414-799-1620, you can call or text. What would you do? I'm just going with 110. I will tell you that I I am going, but I'm 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 not paying. And I live very near the stadium, and there are a lot of accommodating things. I think this is. I think there are a number of factors that go into this. If you've never been to Lambeau, this is a great opportunity because obviously the resale market is extremely depressed. So it, you should be able to get a pretty good price. So I'm saying it's a $110 ticket. $75, 50 25 free, or I'm going to watch it on TV. Which would you do? 414-799-1620. Oh. So Linda in West Bend. Linda, my dear. Hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. So I... Bought my son. He begged for tickets for this game. He lives in Denver. In November, when this game, beginning in November, when this game might mean something, I paid two hundred dollars, and his buddies paid two hundred dollars. So now they're each going to a game that I have to be the designated driver for. Also, to a game that means nothing. <laughs> that they couldn't even are, sell are, these tickets. <laughs> okay, so all right, I'm going to ask you a reverse question. So, just are you going to the game as well? No, I'm I'm not going. In, no, I don't sit out in the cold. So I have to find something else to do while I'm up there. So you're you're going to Green Bay and you're not even going to the game. I don't like to sit out in the cold. 
<laughs> okay, so look, so let me ask you this: You pay two hundred apiece for these tickets, is, or you yeah. just pay for one ticket? Yeah, well, I paid oh, for oh. his. His buddies paid for theirs. Okay, suppose he decided not to go. How low would you go to unload that ticket? To unload it, I, I don't even know that you could get thirty bucks for it. Honestly, I, that, and that's why mm. we're still going because you couldn't get anything. I don't think for him. All right, Linda, thanks a lot for the call. That was a perfect call to start this off. Ted in Mayville. Ted, go ahead. Yeah, I, I definitely, if I had an opportunity to go to a game, I wouldn't, because the game means nothing. I'd rather enjoy the comforts of the man cave and play cards with the guys and then have some holiday festivities there. So if I told you you could have my ticket, you could sit with my in-laws, they're wonderful people, by the way, and my daughter and her son-in-law. Forget it, Jerry. I'm going to stay home in the man cave and, and stay warm. <laughs> I appreciate the offer, but I respectfully have to decline on that one. <laughs> Dad, thanks a lot for the call. i got to tell you, two calls are nearly sufficient on this uh, because I, I just... Um, I, I will tell you that it's easy in, easy out from the stadium for me. It's not far at all for me to get home. It, uh, it, it's, I am, you know, for me, it's an opportunity to spend the afternoon with my uh, daughter and her husband. Uh, you could not pay me to go sit out on the call. However, if you bought drinks and food, I would sit in the club seats. Wow. You're pretty reasonable. Uh, that's a text. I'm a season ticket holder and gave my tickets to a friend who hasn't been there. I'm done for the year. I think that's what a lot of people would do. To Jim in Thienesville. Jim, go ahead. Hey, I've always said that Lambo, if you're a football fan, is a destination. So if you want to see a true football game, you need to go to Lambo. So I would pay up to 100 bucks. You know, it's okay, like hundred. It's like going to Wrigley for a, a a baseball game. It's like going to the old Joe Lewis for a hockey game. These that's a, that's a, a yep. That's a great point, Jim and Thienesville. Thanks a lot for the call, especially especially if you've never been there. Andrew has an urgent message for an earlier caller. Andrew and Waukesha, go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, if your first caller is still listening, they don't think they'll get thirty bucks a piece. I'll pay them thirty bucks. I uh, have only been to Lambo once in my life. I'd probably pay 50 bucks a pop for my wife and I to go. All right, Andrew, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. With that, we're out of time. That landed about where I thought it was going to land. Hey, listen, winning for most people is what it's all about. I do love being at Lambo anytime as well. John McCure busily preparing what he's going to share with you starting after 3. We'll find out exactly what that is in a couple. 255 News Radio WTMJ.